motivating. You think about it, where, you know, those verses that were on the screen there from Hebrews chapter 12, and we're in this series on faith and the arena, and what does that mean, and how do we live in this arena ourselves, the arena of life, and I'm just so excited to be here today and be here with you. Uh, right before I left to go on vacation, I, uh, this is one of the privileges of you know having younger children still. I get to still see animated movies and sneak in, and they don't think I'm weird, you know, because I'm with my daughter. Uh, so I went to see Madagascar three, and so I was watching Madagascar three, and oh, what a great movie! I'm sitting there watching it with my daughter, and having a great time, and this image popped on the screen. It's the exact image. They use this image as part of the movie to show about the whole idea of the Roman Coliseum and competing. And I thought, you know what? Twin Cities is culturally relevant, okay? <laughs> uh, to the little kids. <laughs> there we go. But here we are in this ne- like third week of the series. And you know, we're moving toward the Olympics, okay? 12 days from today, the Olympics actually kick off. And athletes from around the world will come together to represent their country. They will gather in what I'm going to call the arena of competition. Each one's come, and they've prepared, and they've done their best. They've trained. They've sacrificed. Some of them sacrificed at great odds just to make it to that Olympic day. Training to participate and compete in their event, or some of them, the really gifted ones, in several events that they'll compete in in these Olympic Games. Each athlete's going to come, and they're ready, and they're thinking about one thing only, and that's competing. Competing for their country so that their country can be lifted up. They're ready to overcome. They're ready to face their fears. Can you imagine the fears that would come on someone when they're coming to the Olympics, and they're in this stadium, and there's all the cheering and knowing that everyone around the world, the globe, is watching them, the fear that they might have at that moment that this is their time of glory or the lack thereof. And they come ready to embrace courage, though, because they know it's going to require courage to do everything that they're going to have to do in this arena of competition. Now, what we're doing is we're using the concept of the arena in this series, the arena of life, the arena of faith, to talk about these characters from Hebrews chapter 11 that we're going to dig into today in a deeper way, and then how they apply to us and how we can live our lives in the arena of life. Same way, we come with our fears, we come needing courage, we come to perform, so to speak, so that we can represent God. That's what we're going to, God in the best way possible. Hebrews 11, it's a list of men and women who competed in life's struggles and they were victorious. They didn't always win, but they were victorious. And I don't know, I don't know if you can imagine the fears they had or the struggles they might have had as they just came to be at the starting gate of life. They are all winners, and they can all inspire you and me. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at these heroes of faith and kind of take them character by character as we walk through Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes two or more, like we're going to have two today that we're going to look at. We're going to learn from them how they were able to overcome their circumstances and how they were able to compete at a level that got them into God's hall of faith or God's hall of fame of Hebrews chapter 11. But before we do... Look at Psalm 78. It's on the top of your message notes. You want to pull those out so you may be able to write some notes today or you want to read along. Psalm 78, verse 4b, it says this. We will tell, the psalmist says, the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. And what he's saying here is he's saying, we are going to verbally tell the next 
uh, the next generation. So he said, we're going to speak it out so the next generation can know it. But what I want you to understand, it's not just about what we say, it's how we live. We speak loudly, most loudly, by how we live, not by what we say. So it's not just what we say, but it's how we live that really will inspire the next generation. And then also the generations to come. Because they remember, somebody may remember our quotes, but they're going to tell stories about what we did. They'll tell stories about how we lived in life. Now, many of the athletes are coming to the 2012 games are there because they watched an Olympics at some point. They watched an athlete or some athletes compete in some way, and they looked at them and it inspired them to want to pay the price to go to the Olympics themselves. Let's just watch as some of these athletes talk about how they were inspired to get to this year's Olympics. I think my favorite Olympic memory is... In 96. The 92 Olympics. 2000. 1988. That um, kind of dates me. I've always been obsessed with the Olympics. Like, rooted in front of the TV. Watching some of the greatest athletes of all time strut their stuff. It's just neat to see. A lot of them stick out to me as being special in my mind. I remember cheering on Janet Evans. I remember Janet Evans. I remember her short hair. And I remember all of my friends saying and swimming, like, I want to go to the Olympics someday. I want to go to the Olympics someday. At that point, I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. I remember watching the Dream Team basketball when I was younger, and they seemed larger than life. Watching the 92 Olympic, Pablo Morales won gold, and I just remember seeing him going around the pool deck, shaking hands to the fans, like signing autographs. And I just remember uh, going to my parents and being like, you know what, I want to be just like that. That's awesome. Atlanta was pretty cool. Oh yeah, 1996, Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson, he was always my man, because he had those gold shoes on. Gold shoes the gold shoes, uh, just smoking everyone. That was one of the most excited Olympics in my house. I remember everybody jumping up and down in front of the TV. Michael Johnson reaching deep. Michael Johnson running for the road. Into Olympic history. A new world record. He set a world record. He destroys his old record. When I think about an Olympic memory, I think about think about watching him run around the track. One of my favorite memories is probably in 96, watching the Magnificent Seven women win the gold medal. I just remember watching gymnastics on TV at the Olympics, and I was like, I want to go to the Olympics. <laughs> Carrie Shrug, she's the one that was like limping on one leg like the Karate Kid, and she, that was pretty, that was pretty awesome. She knows what to do, she will go, and she is ready. Go, go, go. Uh, that was one of the reasons that I decided that I wanted to push to be an Olympian. In 2000, I was watching the Olympics, it was on, and you know, everyone pays attention to gymnastics when the Olympics are on. <laughs> I would lay in bed at night before I went to bed and like picture myself on the podium. It gives me butterflies when I think about it still to this day. Lloyd steps up, Last Olympics, I really looked up to the soccer team. I remember waking up at four, five, three a.m. to watch those games. Probably the one that stands out 
the most vividly is actually the 2008 Olympics. It was just such a, um, a hectic time. I had so many friends losing their jobs and there was just this kind of uncertainty in the air. For me, the Olympics kind of became this outlet. When Phelps won those eight medals, I mean, oh my gosh, who does that? Phelps above him in lane five. I don't know if he's gonna catch him. He gets it done again. He did it. Oh, he did it. He got it done again. It was just unreal to see him want something so badly and to accomplish it. Oh, it was unbelievable. Oh, isn't that cool? Wow, it's so inspiring. Well, what I want to talk to you about is how that's how you can be to other people. You can be that kind of inspiration. You can be the kind of person that would live a life in such a way that someone would be watching you, or they would see you, or they would hear about you, and they say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the course of my life, and it's going to be different because of your story. I know we all have people in our lives, maybe, that uh, influence some way spiritually, helped inspire us. Think of my mother. You know, she's probably the top of my list of the ones who inspired me, still inspires me at 73. She's still so involved in serving God and ministry uh, to Hispanics, and she just loves that part of what she gets to do. She still inspires me. I think of, you know, growing up and then into college years, a, a specific professor named Gary Young, who just looked at me, and he says, you know what, I'm going to take you under my wing. It was one of my preaching classes. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mentor you, but not mentor you. I'm just going to be your friend. I think of Laverne Lewis, who you know, saw me as a young college student and said, you know what, I see potential in you, and I'm not just going to you know, uh, say that to you, but I'm going to help, help you find your way. I think of the first church I got to pastor, 30 people. Loved me to death. I could just do no wrong. They just kept cheering me on, saying, go, go, go. And they inspired me. And then I watched them as they gave and gave and gave to keep this church going. And I think of people who inspire me evangelistically to say, you know what? Everybody I meet has the potential of just being a breath away from an eternity apart from God. And therefore, it's my responsibility to help those people to know him. And I just think of people like that who inspired me. And I, have someone, I want us to be those kind of people. I want us to inspire a generation. I want us to be the kind of folks that people talk about and look back on and say, that Twin Cities Church, that group, that season, that's the season that God did an amazing thing. So I forgot to give you the definition on your notes, okay? I was so excited about getting to these characters. I didn't write it down, so why don't you write it down at the top? Here's the definition of faith that we're using in this series. Definition of faith for this series. You might write that down. It's being sure that God who's, is who he says he is, it's being sure that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. It's being sure that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Faith is trusting God enough to act. It's trusting God enough to act. It's not just belief. Faith is acting on the belief that I have. Now, I want to invite you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible every week. Just bring it with you every week. Just open it up. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. I may use some other verses along the way, but Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, stop by the Bible racks on each side of the doors. When you come in, you can pick one up. You can read it while you're here. You can put it back when you leave. If you don't have a Bible, take one home. If you have a Bible, use it while you're here. Put it back so someone can use that next week. We're going to look at, I'm actually going to back up a little bit. And I'm going to cover a couple of verses that Pastor John covered last week uh, just to give us some more context about where we're going uh, in this series. So verses 2 and 3, Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read those first. 
By faith, the people of old received their commendation. You must circle that word commendation. I'm going to come back to that. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So God created it all, is what he's saying. Now, the word commendation, it's a key word. It means that the people of Hebrews chapter 11, the people that we are looking at, that they were made right with God. Commendation means right with God, that they, God deemed them as righteous. It's actually a word that's used in a legal context. It means God bore witness. He spoke witness. He gave testimony that he was pleased with these people. God is pleased. They are right with him. And the way that they were right with God is by faith. Faith is how we please God. Faith is how we come to God. And then it's how we walk with him. And it's how we please him. Now, verse 3, it's really key to us to understand verse 3. Verse 3 says that God created everything. Now, more and more, scientists are coming to the side to say, yes, there, you know, we would agree there is a designer who made this whole thing, and there, you know, there's this master designer. But we would not know it's God without the pages of this book. It could just be, you know, just name a name. It could be that was the designer. But when we come to verse 3, it tells us that God created everything. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created everything. We know it was God because God said so. And so I have to first have faith that this is God's word. And that's what Hebrews chapter 3 is letting us know. I have to trust this. I won't get the benefit from this book that God wants me to get if I don't believe that he wrote it that he said it, that this is his words to me. So first of all, I've got to believe these are God's words to me, and I'm going to adhere to those words, and I'm going to let those words influence my life. I won't fully understand the book. I won't fully understand the things of God. In fact, you know, New Testament says that, that before people come to Christ, they, this is like foreign to them. They can't understand it. But I won't fully understand this until I, by faith, agree that this is God's word. And that he speaks his word to me. Okay, let's look at these two heroes. Two guys, Abel and Enoch. And you know what? I'm just really glad that they're in the list. And there's a lot of unspokens in the list that we don't know. But I'm really glad that Abel and Enoch are in the list. Because next we're going to get to Noah. Oh my word, look at what Noah did. And there's a lot of the Bible written about Noah. And then next is what? Abraham. Oh my word, you know, how much of the Bible is written? Who could ever be like Abraham as we look at him? And then, no, we have Moses. My word, he wrote four books of the Bible, five books of the Bible about him. I could never be like Moses, but here we have Abel and Enoch, okay? The kind of guys I can relate to, and maybe you can as well. They didn't have much of the Bible written about them, and yet they're first on the list. First on the list that God gives that said, these are the ones who had such an influence. So here's the truth for you and me. They are ordinary people who inspired a generation. And we can look at them, and we can be inspired as well. Okay, verse 4. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, so commended by God. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So, you know, Cain and Abel are brothers. They're sons of Adam and Eve. And they came to God, both of them came together, to worship him. Abel's gift was accepted by God. Cain's gift was not. They both came and gave gifts, but... Not both of those gifts were accepted. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Let's go on five and six about Enoch. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. 
he disappeared because God took him. For he was taken up. He was known as a person who pleased God. So commended by God. Known as a person who, was, who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Circle that word rewards. It's a key word. Key word rewards there. Now, when I get to, you know, if you take that verse out of context and it says that when we come to God by faith that he's going to reward us, then what I would do and what I think most of us would do is we would look at that and say, what kind of reward do we want from God? We'd look at that and say, what kind of reward do we want from God? And so we'd want, okay, God, I want, to, I want this award. I want a life free from pain. That's what I want. I, okay, God, I want a life filled with pleasure. I'll sign up for that reward. I want to get in that line. So God, I want a life that's free from difficulty. Or God, I want a reward that's like a, a, a life that's filled with comfort. God may give us those things, but that is not what this means. What this means is, is that God will give us the reward of acceptance, the reward of commendation, that I will be pleasing to him. That's the reward that we get when we live by faith. I'm commended by him. And folks, when you know that you're accepted by God, whew, when you know that you're in relationship with him, oh my word, it takes all the pressure of life off. Nothing can phase you when you know you're in complete union with God and that you have perfect relationship. Now that's what the heroes that we're looking at had. And that's what we can have as well. And as we live our lives of faith, we can become inspirations to generations as we do it ourselves. Okay, let's look at these two heroes just for a minute. I'm going to use it under the context, look at them under the context of how to please God. Because they please God, so we want to know how to do it as well. First, how to please God, as Abel did. If I'm going to please God, I must worship him sacrificially. I must worship him sacrificially. And you might write it down this way if you want to just kind of, you know, get a little deeper here. I must approach him on his terms. I must approach God on his terms. That's what Abel did. So, and I'm going to go to Genesis for, you know, to kind of help us out a little bit on this story. Just read a, uh, just a piece of their story. It says this, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some, circle that word some. Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift the best, circle that, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Now, when it says there, it started, it says, when it was the time for harvest, they presented a gift. So somehow, Cain and Abel had been taught, and I don't know if God, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us, I don't know if God spoke to them literally and told them what he wanted them to do, but I have a feeling it came from watching their parents, Adam and Eve, they saw the way that their parents, Adam and Eve, had learned to worship God. And so they used, they, they'd been given a, a, this way to worship God. And the, what, it, what it meant was they had a time and a place and a method. They had a time and a place and a way that they would come to worship God. They had a time. They both knew, they, both, they were both aware that it was time to come bring their offering. They had a place. They both knew that this is the place that we were supposed to do it. And they had a method or a way. They both knew that there was a method or a way that you approach God. And the reason that Abel's gift was accepted, the only difference between the two gifts is that it was by faith. He trusted God. Cain, on the other hand, where Abel said, you know what, this is what God said, 
and I'm going to do it the way God said. Cain, on the other hand, he approached God. He said, okay, I, I'm, in, I'm in God. I'm going to do this. It's, this, this is the time. This is the place, and I'm going to use my method. Time, place, but my method. I'm going to come to you on what I think is reasonable, not on what you've said. He gave an offering. It cost him something. God rejected it because it wasn't the offering God asked for. He said, this is not what I'm asking you for. So Cain, basically, Abel, you know, slaughters a lamb. There's a whole lot of symbolism in this. Slaughters a lamb, and he gives his lamb. Cain brings a fruit platter when God was asking for a slaughtered lamb. So you see the difference there, that one comes based on what God said. The other comes, oh, this is reasonable. I raised my crops. This is, I'm giving you the best. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say the best. It says I'm giving you some of, so he didn't even bring the best of his crops. See, worship is all about our attitude. Worship is all about sacrifice. Abel says, I'm going to sacrifice to come to worship. Cain says, I'm going to give to God. Huge difference between the two. So when you think about this, think about what does God want from us? He wants our best. It's what Abel gave. He gave our best. God wants the best part of our mind. He wants the best part of our you know, finances. He wants the best part of our skills and our abilities. He wants the best part of our strength. And, but what Cain did is he, do what men, do, he did what many of us do. And you know what? Have you ever tried to just kind of reason with God? You ever tried to say, you God, I know this is what you said, but this is not what I want to do? Uh, kind of who wins that argument, right? I mean, if you're like me, you still do it the way you thought, you know, and then you kind of pay the price down the road a little bit uh, of doing that. And that's what Cain did. He knew what God had asked. He knew what God had expected. But instead of giving God what he asked, he had decided this is odd. This ought to be reasonable. I'm coming to God. You know, I, I talk to you a lot when we get to this whole idea of tithing. And, and I ask you this, because I really want you to wrestle with this. Really re wrestle with this concept. Because God asks us to do it. So you want to wrestle with it if he asks us to do it. And I, I get you to get out of the mindset of reasoning. So when you think about tithing, the first thing that all of us do is that we want to reason it out. So we look at it and say, okay, here are my, here's my income. Here are my expenses. Here's what God asks for. That's not reasonable. <laughs> How can I ever do that? You know, and so we reason it out, and instead of responding to God based on revelation, which is what I ask you to do, is to go to God and say, God, how much do you want me to give? And then I'll give God what you ask me to give, and then that's an acceptable offering when God tells me and I give what he asked me to give. We give by reason. We give by reason oftentimes. And so I just want to encourage you when we get to this whole idea that worship him sacrificially, that God wants us to live by revelation. He wants us to do, if this is God's, if this, I'm going to do what it says. And so I need to make this the guide for my life. I need to follow it in every way as I do that. Now, that's the Old Testament, okay? In the Old Testament, people were made right by faith. In the New Testament, people are made right by faith. No difference. New Testament, in faith in what God said. New Testament, faith in what God said. What did God say in the New Testament? How are you made right with God? By faith. Through what? Jesus Christ. Look at this verse from John, from John chapter 14. Jesus says it himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, lots of people squirm when they read that verse. They think it's so exclusive, but, you know, as I've told you before, I think it's the most inclusive verse in the Bible because what that says is everyone can come through Jesus. So everyone can do that. 
It is only through faith in Jesus Christ in our age that we are made right with God. Now, it requires sacrifice, because what I have to do is I have to give up my way. I have to give up the way I think it ought to be. I have to give up my works that I thought were going to get me to heaven. I have to give up my idea that I'm a good person. I have to give up my idea that I've been sincere all my life. I have to give up my way that I've been religious. I have to give up my way that I'm with this group, and we're all going to get there somehow. And I have to say, okay, it's through Jesus. And I have to bend a knee before him. And when I bend a knee before him, I am made right with God. Now, I want to give you the, the kind of key idea of this point. You can fill in these blanks. Here we go. Even though it's important to believe in God, it is more important to believe God. Even though it is, more, it is important to believe in God, it is even more important to believe God. Cain believed in God. Abel believed God. And Abel is the one who went down as a person of faith and declared to generations, his story of walking with God. So I was asking Matt, where's God asking you to sacrifice? What has been, God been showing to you to say, you know what? Worship of me requires change in you. Worship of me requires you letting go of control. Worship of you comes without your definitions. Worship of me requires you bending a knee in humility and coming before me. So just ask yourself, you know, ask God, God, where is it that you want me to come to you in a way that you say honors you? And where am I not, God? Because I want to know. Because I want to, I want to please you today, but also I want to influence the next generation. Okay, let's look at Enoch now for just a minute. Look at Enoch. And through Enoch, what we're going to learn is I please God when I walk with him purposefully. When I walk with him purposefully. That's what we're going to learn from Enoch. And if you want to, you can just write down obedience. You know, I just shied away from using the word obedience, but that's the word. That's really what God wants. Purposefully is kind of like, you know, shading it over a little bit. God just saying, no, I really want you to walk with me in obedience. And that's what Enoch did. Abel came with the right attitude. Enoch came with obedience. Now, we know very little about Enoch, actually, uh, in his faith. Yet here he is in second in the list of God's hall of fame. Now, in Hebrews 11, it doesn't tell us what Enoch did. It simply just says that by faith, Enoch was taken, and he was removed from the earth. Uh, he didn't die. Isn't this really cool? Enoch's only the second. There's only two people in the Bible that didn't die. Uh, Enoch and Elijah. And so you look at them and say, wow, this unspoken individual we know so little about, he was actually had the kind of faith that God just wanted him right into heaven with him. And so he took him to be there. Uh, he didn't die. He was taken to heaven. So in Genesis, this is what it says. This is where we know what Enoch actually did and what made him pleasing to God. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I was thinking about that. I bet that's where we got the phrase, God took somebody is right there. God took that person, you know, but really worth taking when they're, they're dead. But in this case, Enoch wasn't dead, but God took him. Now, focus on the word walked for a minute. This might circle that so you can be thinking about that. The word walked. The word walk means to come alongside continually in conversation. It means to come alongside continually in conversation. It's talking about relationship. And that's what Enoch did 
that pleased God is that he made sure to come alongside God continually. It means he didn't shy away. He didn't go off and do his own thing for a little while and then come back in conversation. And I was thinking about that. I think, you know, having conversation with God, that's got to be easy for an extrovert. But boy, for us introverts, that's really hard sometimes. I think a lot about God, but to talk to him all the time. But you know what? Continually, it's about relationship. See, in order to walk with God, I have to be at peace with God. In order to have relationship with him, I have to, in order to be in his presence, I have to establish peace with him through Christ. And now I'm walking with him, coming alongside continually in conversation. In my study this week, I found this phrase, I said it this way. That means that we are with God, we are traveling to the same place on the same path at the same pace. You and I with God, we're traveling to the same place and we are on the same path and we are at the same pace. Isn't that hard to go at God's pace sometimes? I want my pace. I'm like, I want to get there. I know where he wants me to go. I don't want to shortcut it. You know, so that means shortcutting uses a lot of struggle and pain. I want to be there already. Sometimes we want to get off God's path. And so we just say, you know what, God, I really have to take an exit for a while because there's some things I want to do that you wouldn't approve of. Ever done that? I want to do some things that you, know, that you wouldn't approve of, and then I'm going to come back some point. But what he's saying, the reason Enoch was made right with God, that he was continually beside God. On the, on the same path, talking with him in conversation. Now, Enoch, we know that he lived in the days before Noah. In the days before Noah, we're going to look at next week, we talk about Noah. In the days before Noah, these were times where everybody had just kind of chosen to live their own way. Uh, they had chosen to disregard any morality or anything about God, and everybody was living according to their own desires, their own flesh desires, or what they thought was right. And so this is the day in which Enoch lived. So kind of if we lived like Enoch today, it'd be very similar, right, to the day in which we live right now as well. And we know that, uh, uh, as that Enoch then, because of that, that he would stand out. We know that Enoch lived to be 365 years old. We know that when Enoch was 65 years old, he had a son named Methuselah. And so when Methuselah was born, what we know is Enoch had been living his way going his way, and Methuselah was born, and he don't know if he was just so enamored by his son and the birth, or if there was some point he said, what am I going to do with this boy, and how are we going to raise him, and what are we, you know, how, how is this going to happen, that he, at that point, turned to God. Some of you did the same thing. Either you got married, and you're just like, okay, we're getting married now, and now we, you know, how are we going to, what are we going to build our marriage on, and he looked around, and he said, there's lots of things we can build our marriage on, we're going to turn to God. Some of you came to Twin Cities or other churches. You had your first kid or your second kid, and you're looking around. Things are struggling, and you're saying, oh, you know, we need some help, and you go to God. And that's what Enoch did. He went to God. He went to him and said, okay, I'm going to place my—I want to be in relationship with you. And then what he did was he said, I'm going to walk with you. And he walked with God in obedience. That's how you have to be if you're going to be with God. If you're going to be with him in peace, you're going to be in his presence, you have to walk with him in obedience— and he did that, and he walked with God, and he now is in the hall of faith. You know, it's really cool. He's also mentioned in Jude. That's in the New Testament. Jude, verse 14 and 15. And it says in verse 14 and 15 that Enoch was a prophet. Now, nowhere else in the Bible does it say he was a prophet. In fact, a prophet's job was to speak to the people for God. Enoch didn't have any speeches that we know of. Enoch didn't, you know. So how did he speak? He spoke through his life. 
And the way he was a prophet is that in his culture, because he was walking with God, he stood out and was different. And folks, I just want to say this. As followers of Christ, we work too hard to blend in. You know, we cave in, we say things that maybe we wish we hadn't have said later just so that someone will accept us. We give in to values because everybody else is doing it, so it must be okay. And kind of afraid sometimes to speak up and say that, you know, we're different because of Christ, you know. And I, and I agree, Christians have got, you know, a pretty bad rep. Uh, and so when we say we're Christian sometimes, it's kind of hard to us to do that because we're afraid somebody's going to reject us and Honestly, I want to reject some of those Christians, too. Uh, But overall, what I think God wants us to do is he wants us to walk with him and to stay in alignment with him so that when people look at us, we stand out. So that we're not like the rest of culture. So I just want to ask, do you stand out? I'm not asking us to get weird. Some of you already are. I'm just asking, do you stand out? Would people know that you love Jesus? Not by what you say, but by how you live and what you do. Okay, let me give you the bottom line. Let me give you the bottom line. Bottom line is this. Bottom line. If we're going to be commended by God, which is what we want to do, we want to have that reward, and if we're going to inspire others based on what we've talked about, all the way from verse 3 through verse 6 here, we must believe the Bible to be God's word, we must worship God on his terms, and we must, we must walk with God in relationship. We must believe the Bible to be God's word, we must come to God on his own terms, and we must walk with him in relationship. And when we carry that mindset, then the rest of this series, the rest of the characters will all make sense. And we, we just have the possibility of inspiring a generation. And that our story would actually go down. And we have the possibility of inspiring generations. And that's my challenge to us. My challenge to you. Let's pray. God, I, I just, I come to you and I just tell you I was intimidated by this uh, whole concept in some ways and not sure, if it was, not sure if it was clear enough, but now I just realize how clear it is. And so, Father, we come to you today and we want to offer ourselves, first of all, declare that we believe that you are God and that the Bible is your truth to us. And God, we're going to do what it says. We're going to come to you on your terms. We're going to stop trying to reason it away. We're going to come to you in revelation. We're going to listen to what you say. And we're going to do what you say. No matter how difficult it may be. And Father, we're also going to walk with you. We're going to walk with you in integrity, purity of mind and heart and walk with you in truthfulness, not going to compromise. We're going to stand firmly on you, God. We're going to trust you, God, that even if we stand out, even if we miss out, uh, even if we're criticized, 
or ridiculed. That God, we're going to stand for you. And God, it's our prayer that you, the, the way we live, Father, would be pleasing to you. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.